0: Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman.
1: And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And
0: we are broadcasting live from the River Valley Co-op in East Hampton. We are here because it is National Co-op Month. When I was a kid, I thought it was incumbent on me, if I was going to be involved and knowledgeable and conversant with national politics, that I should memorize the names of the cabinet members in John Kennedy's cabinet. This was, how to put it, a weird idea. But one of the names I remember is Orville Freeman. Orville Freeman was the Secretary of Agriculture. Don't tune off your radio. This is actually really interesting. Orville Freeman was the former governor of Minnesota, and Orville Freeman was the person who as Secretary of Agriculture in 1964, established National Co-op Month, and October is indeed national co-op month thank you orville i guess we're on a first name basis now okay we are live at the river valley market and we are celebrating as we do every year National Co-op Month, and we have people from co-ops up and down the valley to help us understand what co-ops are, how much they mean to our community, how much employment they provide, how workers are treated well and better by co-ops, how consumers are as well. There are all sorts of co-ops, and we want you to be part of this movement, and so we want to share this with you today. Let me start with, and we'll introduce the people from the various co-ops as we go along, with Suzette Snow-Cobb, who is the Board President of the Valley Cooperative Association and the Associate Director of Neighboring Food Co-ops, Suzette, tell us about co-ops. What kind of co-ops are there? It's National Co-op Month. It's really exciting. This is really this is something really important to the valley. Tell us about the co-ops that
2: are here.
3: Great. Well, it's really great to be here. I think uh, this might be the tenth year or so that we've done this radio program, and uh, there are co-ops of any type that you can possibly imagine. Uh, a cooperative organization is owned by its uh, members. Its members can, are those folks that use the uh, services or uh, are workers there. So you could have worker co-ops, you can, uh, you can have um, cooperatives owned by farmers, as a farmer co-op, of course you have these food co-ops that are owned by the um, members who shop there. And co-ops are all over the country, all over the world. And the one of the main tenets of a cooperative is that they exist to serve their members rather than to make money for shareholders.
0: When you became involved with a co-op and with this cooperative movement, and it is a movement, it is a burgeoning economic model, what attracted you to co-ops? Uh,
3: well, I'd say the the main thing was that it was a means to... Uh, empower communities to uh, participate in their their economy in a way that was um, that is uh, just and um, and and getting services and, and needs met uh, in those communities. It was a way to have uh, set up an economy that wasn't just benefiting uh, a, a few that to get rich it's to to help the entire community um uh prosper and do well
0: you you are the uh you are one of the very important uh contributors to the neighboring food co-op association what are food co-ops what is the food co-op association and where are you located the
3: the neighboring food co-op association is a cooperative of food co-ops in the northeast Uh, We have members from uh, New York to Maine and and all of the New England states. Uh, So our cooperative, Neighboring Food Co-op Association, its members are the food co-ops, and we work to uh, help them be uh, better food co-ops in their communities. Now,
0: we have food co-ops, which are essentially... Wait a second, we're going to have... uh... Giant truck. This is economic activity. We actually, okay, we're good. So I, I would like to know more about food co-ops since we are at one here at River Valley Market broadcasting live. I, I'd like to know more about food co-ops and how they work. I'm not quite sure, though, whether the old creamery co-op is a food co-op or whether it's an employee-owned co-op. So the old creamery co-op, uh, Lenore, tell us what it is, why it is, how it works.
2: Oh well, we are a food co-op for sure. Uh, you know, there's uh, no saying that our employees uh, can't be members as well, but we don't make that a requirement, certainly for. Uh, For service at the store. You know, uh, we are a uh, small food co-op. We're happily a member of the neighboring uh, food co-op association and uh, benefit greatly, I think, from uh, the, uh, you know, knowledge, wisdom and experience of uh, uh, Suzette and that whole organization. But, you know, we serve a small, uh, you know, community for, uh, you know, basic real shopping needs. Okay, well,
0: let me interrupt you there, because the River Valley Market has, I think, a really interesting uh, uh, advertising uh, uh, slogan, which says, in essence, we really want you to be members because it's really important, it's really helpful, it's really economically advantageous, but it's open to all. So how does the cooperative model work for the Old Creamery Co-op in terms of its members? What does that mean? Membership has its privileges. We remember that from the old American Express ad, but tell us.
2: Oh, yes. Well, you know, I'll tell you, the, 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 the beauty, beautiful thing about the, the, the cooperative model is that, you know, we, we are there because our membership wants us to be there. You know, in, in our case, we're uh, one small store in a, a, a fairly rural area so you know with a
0: cow on the roof well yeah we
2: we keep it up there you know she's she doesn't eat much it's okay what what is her name well that's camille that's Camille. yeah yes as as she was introduced to me anyhow i haven't asked directly but i'll i'll ask her when i get back to the store um but you know we're, we're 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 a small shop we serve a lot of people who really couldn't or wouldn't want to drive 30 minutes away. How that relates to our membership is, I mean, we're there because they wish us to be there. You know, we're a fairly young co-op in the grand scheme of things. We we just hit our 10-year anniversary last year as a small store or a small business, and there's always, you know, puzzles to solve and, and things to figure out. And, yeah. is
0: the, and is the model that the economic benefits – the, what would be viewed as profits that don't need to be plowed back into the business, that goes to the members, is that the model? Is that what we're talking about?
2: In our case, we are such a small store that it's probably unlikely that we would ever generate the <laughs> profits of a level to redistribute out to our membership. It almost works more in the opposite direction where we're sort of the beneficiaries of the fact that our membership wants us to be there for them to shop at.
0: Well, tell me about this. It's a cooperative. It's a community venture. How does that work? Why is it a community venture? I well, saw a hand. You saw a hand? A hand went up? Yes, in the in the back, in the back of the room. Yes, thank you. Please. Actually please.
4: I was thanking the person who made it possible for us to hear. Down here oh, at of the table. That's
5: what was happening. I thought we were jumping
4: in.
0: Well, let's hear more about the, the food co ops if we could. Uh Beth? uh dean's beans are you here with us
4: yes good morning
0: beth spong i i'd like to know dean's beans it's a it's a workers co-op but it's also an agricultural co-op of some sort explain where dean's beans is and why is it a co-op
4: so dean's beans organic coffee is in orange massachusetts and that's where our beanery is someone asked dean sycon the founder and longtime owner uh years ago so do you have a factory up there and he said no it's not a factory it's a (laughs) beanery so uh that's where we do our work and we are brand spanking new co-op we on june 30th dean retired and the employees bought the business from him so we are a three-month-old worker-owned cooperative
0: so tell us how a worker-owned cooperative works what, why is it different from a, different, from a, a usual business model?
4: Well, I'll, I'll start with why we became a cooperative, and I think it's an important message. That was, that
0: was a much better question. You want to take both mics? <laughs>
4: <laughs> you bet. So, <laughs> Dean Saigon started the, the business and owned it for 30 years and built a beautiful business working, actually, with coffee-growing cooperatives around the world. So, we've been buying coffee from organic fair trade cooperatives around the world for a really long time. And in his desire to retire and do something that would be good for the employees and good for the community, he opted to go the route of us becoming a worker owned cooperative. So, basically, the employees bought the business from Dean. And, um, you know, it's interesting, one of the things I learned in the process is that a lot of business owners assume that when they're ready to let go of their business they'll be able to sell it although only 20% of businesses that are ever listed for sale actually sell mm-hmm. and many people also assume that they will be able to pass it on to their children or their grandchildren but that only happens 15% of the time so that's a so and Dean's kids were not interested in in taking over the business and he didn't want to sell out to a big conglomerate um, and take a big pile of money away and realizing that he would have been endangering jobs and some economic stability in the region. So that's why he chose the cooperative path. And um, and, and we should
0: point out he's not the first in the Valley to do that. Joe Blumenthal at Downtown Sounds did exactly this. Absolutely. Followed this model, sold the business to the employees, and it, now it's a worker-owned cooperative as well.
4: Yes. And so we have how it works as a worker-owned cooperative is we have one member, one share, one vote. So nobody has more uh, power uh, in decision making than anybody else because everybody has every member owner has uh, has
3: a single vote. All right. So is that and, you want to? And that's in? the same for every type of co-op. It's a one member, one vote, no matter what your membership is. So there's that equality there instead of what you, you know, if you, instead of the, the power being in who has the most money, it's the power in being, in, in, is more equalized.
0: Well, let me ask, I, I have the same question actually for all of you involved with worker-owned co-ops, and that is, how does it actually work? I mean, it's uh, when I you see a, you see a, some sort of corporate structure. You know, there's a CEO up there, and then there are different levels, and then we get down to the workers, the people who actually produce the products and the services. Got it, but it's got to be a, maybe it doesn't have to be a little complicated to figure out how one person one vote how that all works. I mean, it sounds great, but to me, what a logistical kind of nightmare. So, so
4: I'll jump in there, and then let Lynn speak. Um, so we're just learning how to actually do this now that we are a worker-owned cooperative. So how does this actually work? And it is a no, little no. I asked you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I right. So the board is the boss of me. I'm the CEO, and I supervise people who are on the board. That's complicated, and they are various positions um, in the company. So some of them have other supervisors but it's it's complex in terms of the dynamics and that's something
6: that we'll be learning about as we go forward
0: okay who's next who would like to jump in on this yes well, ma'am
6: yeah. so i'm par- i'm working with northeast biodiesel which is a hybrid that's worker owned and our and worker owned.
0: would you identify your voice and name I'm for Lynn our thank you
6: thank you and um and it's been really fun to watch the workers' co-op develop and um, take take on the responsibility of ownership of that plant in Greenfield. Um, and one of the fun could stories... You stop the, could
0: you stop right there? I want to hear the story. But... Uh, you are, you Lynn Benander, you're with Co-op Power.
6: I'm I'm with Co-op Power. I'm also the president of the board of Northeast Biodiesel.
0: Okay, great. Got so it. So I have thank a couple
6: you. of hats okay, to so wear. Okay, so wearing
0: whatever hat you want. Tell yes, me how this you. business model works.
6: Well, one of the fun things is um, we hired Rick Durapo to be the manager of Northeast Biodiesel, and he had 40 years experience running chemical plants for Monsanto and retired. And he saw an advertisement saying that um, we were looking to hire a manager um, who would manage a chemical plant, Northeast Biodies, a chemical plant, where the workers owned it. And he came out of retirement because he was so excited. He said, this is the way it should be. Wow. And, um, and when, when was that? A year ago. You're all babies in the woods here. (laughs) He's he's one of the most uh, gifted uh, worker co-op managers I've met, actually co-op managers that I've met, because he has an understanding in his bones about what it means where the people who who have information, who really know how to make the plant work, actually have access to decision-making. They have a voice in the process of what happens. So the workers are on the board of directors supervising him and he so welcomes all of their ideas and input and decisions about what's best for the plant and believes that those decisions are going to be better for the plant than if he were just making them by himself with a board of directors that was unrelated to the operations
0: we are broadcasting live from the river valley market in east hampton on this national co-op month we're going to continue our conversation right after this we're going to go to one of the Early co-ops here in the Valley, collective copies, right after this.
7: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
8: It is critical that the investigation is not limited to federal violations of gender discrimination, but includes the alleged allegations of corruption, nepotism, abuse of power, and use of position to aid Ms. Cunningham's personal business. These allegations actually require an investigation by a different body than a Title IX investigator.
7: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives, 101.5 and 1400 WHMP, news, information, and the arts.
1: Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store, or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop.
9: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and Co-op member, Bill Newman.
1: Rutabagas, sweet
0: potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the Co-op every day. At the Co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe, and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the Co-op's bulk department.
9: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
10: What's the role of creativity in mental health and well-being? ServiceNet's art show explores the ways creativity connects to mental health. ServiceNet's art show. The opening reception is this Thursday, 4 to 7, with 35 artists from the ServiceNet community. Everyone is welcome. The opening reception features music by Ada O'Brien and food by ServiceNet's Rooster Cafe. The role of creativity in mental health. ServiceNet's art show. Opening reception Thursday, 4 to 7,
7: at ServiceNet, Olander Drive, Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
0: We continue Talk the Talk broadcasting live from the River Valley Co-op here in East Hampton. We have with us on this panel Lynn Banander, who is from Co-op Power, and Randy Zucco from Collective Copies and Suzette Snow Cobb from the Neighboring Food Cooperative Association, Beth Spong from Dean's Beans, and Lloyd Miller from the Old Creamery Co-op. Let me go to Randy Zucco, Collective Copies. It's. You're, I mean, we've had some descriptions here about newbies on the block, new co-ops. Congratulations to the new co-ops, an expanding model. Good for our communities, good for, our, uh, good for the employees, good for businesses, good for the Valley and the neighboring towns and vill- towns as well. I'd like to know about Collective Copies because I think you were early. Collective Copies was early as a co-op. So tell us how it works. And for those of our listeners who don't know what it is.
11: All right, thank, thanks, Bill. Thanks, Buzz, for um, even having us here. This is, you know, to me, one of the great benefits of being in a community like this. You know, I'm just a worker at a business who's on a radio show that cares about the community and um, the cooperatives and the, the businesses in the community. So, thank you for having us at all. Um, so i'm here with two hats on as well i'm also here representing the valley alliance of worker cooperatives so i want to make sure that uh, i give them the plug that i'm here to do Um, and yes i uh, i have been a member of uh, worker member of collective copies for over 25 years now it's hard for me to even believe that Um, and collective copies yes was was born in 1983 (laughs) so we just celebrated our 40th anniversary (laughs) On May 1st of 2023, Um, like the name intends, you know, we are a printing uh, shop, uh, as well as publishers, self-publishers, and everything else under the sun that can be printed on paper or any other materials.
0: (laughs) What's the secret sauce? 40 years as a workers' cooperative, that's a great run in Am- downtown Amherst. The rent's not cheap. No. How do you make this work?
11: That's a very good question. I think, I think and the people here have answered that question. I think when um, you have a business that's rooted in the community and not sucking uh, the money and the power and everything else away from the people who actually work there, those people make decisions and they make, uh, take actions that mean something to their job security and to the communities that they live and work in. So I think um, what it means for us is that we've had to, um, it, as, as everybody could probably imagine in the printing industry, had to make some major adjustments over the past 10, 15, 20 years to um, navigate some really tumultuous waters in the industry and um, make sure that we tried to keep as many people employed and um, more than employed but um, satisfactorily employed um, as, as they go along in the process and so right, because it's not there, there, easy. There is this old adage,
0: old adages are always old, that if you love your job, you never have to worry about work. We have to worry about the trucks in the background as we are outside here, live at River Valley Co-op. I'd like to understand this more. Uh, Collective Copies is a worker-owned co-op. The workers own the business. Correct. Someone comes to work at Collective Copies; they're an owner on day one. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. How does that actually
11: work? So, like, like any most, I think, worker cooperatives, there is what's called a apprentice period, some people call it a probation period, whatever period you want to call it. But in the beginning, uh, I was just a worker. I, the, the expectation, I believe, in a worker cooperative, at least with us, is that you will eventually be an owner if you want to be. And if you don't want to be, then you can no longer be employed at Collective Copies, unfortunately. So um, there is that caveat. Um, I think there are other worker cooperatives in the world and in uh, America that have employees. Uh, I think that it's not hard and fast rule. We, for us, we anybody who works there owns it. Generally speaking, it's a six month year plus experience where we get to know you, you get to know us. Are you going to fit? Are we going to fit with you? Because when you take on a new owner, you're taking on somebody who's gonna be just as equal as you are and have just as much of a voice for the rest of the length of that business. So it's very important to choose
12: wisely.
0: Randy Zucco, you tell us you've been with Collective Copies for 25 years. Correct. How do you welcome people to this business model? Day one, we're now all equally in this together. Explain that to me. I
11: Well, I, I don't think that's an idealist view, I think, in a lot of ways. I think it took me probably four years before I even felt like I could talk at a meeting and make a proposal, I have to say. I was intimidated and I was learning as I went along. So I didn't exert any power, so to speak, other than my vote for the first four years, I think it's like anything else, I think it's a learning experience both personally and professionally to to be able to take ownership.
0: And when someone leaves because life intervenes and they have to move to right. some other state, do they then sell their ownership interest back to the business? How does that work?
11: Yeah, they simply just get paid back their share and severance, whatever severance package is. And our share is a pittance. It's two hundred and fifty dollars.
0: And is that is that a requirement to participate? I mean, do you have to pay two You're, fifty to, to get in? Or yeah,
11: we usually take it out five dollars a paycheck <laughs> <laughs> for, for for fifty weeks. My <laughs> <laughs> math
1: is right. Uh, let me ask this. Cause cause that's what. That's why you were there for twenty five years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: So let me ask this, uh, uh, Suzette Suzette Snow Cobb, if I might. Uh, Is this a a burgeoning movement? Are there more co-ops here in this area of the world than other places? Is it a model that is catching on? That's the area I'd like you to address, if you would, for us, please.
3: Well, I'm not a co-op historian. There are co-op historians that can give you uh, a whole lot of information, but the cooperative model's been around for a long time all over the world. There's uh, pockets of... Cooperative economy in northern Italy, in Mondragon, in in uh, England, and other places that have massive networks. Here in the U.S., we are seeing an increase in worker co-ops, especially and in food co-ops. There's a n- new food co-op that just opened in Maynard, Massachusetts, the Acabet Food Co-op. The Dorchester Food Co-op is about to open. They have their grand opening on uh, Saturday in in Dorchester, Mass and uh in amherst there's a group that's working on um, uh, having a storefront so it's no it's no uh uh, let's see it's not by happenstance i don't think that there is a significant co-op um economy here in the in our valley in our wider valley and you know i it's it's possible that uh, Dean would have thought of uh, converting to a, a co-op as he retired, um, without as the number that we have, or uh, Real Pickles converting to a, a worker co-op, um, or the Creamery converting to a, a, a consumer co-op. But I think because of the the solidarity and the support that and the knowledge the uh, of Cooperatives in our area—it's seen as a real and valid and and legitimate um, business model that can um, that that is an important part of our economy because of our shared information, because of um, networking, because of you know radio shows like this, uh, joint advertising—all of those things raise the awareness of the general population, but also of our business and uh, um, community around the possibility of having this business model I was almost going to say alternative but it's not an alternative it's a real um, uh, mainstay of of our economy of having a cooperative model
0: we are broadcasting live from the River Valley co-op here in East Hampton we will be back in just a moment because we want you to know more hear more learn more be with us as we celebrate co-ops on this national co-op month
6: i here on part and Farm. Ain't never done no man no
7: harm. More talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
13: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Red Cross is assisting after a house fire in East Hampton last night left multiple people without a home. Northampton, Southampton, and Barnes Air National Guard were called in to help the East Hampton Fire Department around 8 p.m. last night. The cause of the fire was determined to be combustibles that were placed too close to a lit candle. Holyoke police are searching for 28-year-old Kermit Alvarez, who has been identified as the third suspect in the shooting in downtown Holyoke last week that led to the death of an infant. The two other suspects in the crime have already been arraigned and are being held without bail. They're due back in court November 3rd. Greenfield's health director Jennifer Hoffman has resigned from her role. In a letter to the mayor, Hoffman wrote of the pressure of working under constant scrutiny, and she stated that six people have allegedly been harassing her. Mayor Wiedegardner said the constant scrutiny and petty criticisms of city employees is an epidemic in public service today. Several hundred members of the Jewish community gathered together Monday night in Northampton, Amherst, and Springfield to show solidarity and share their emotions and trauma over the ongoing attacks in Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared war on Hamas after the attacks on Israeli citizens by the Islamic Nationalist and Militant Organization, which controls the Gaza Strip. And pickleball is coming to Amherst. Town officials are looking to use $120,000 in Community Preservation Act money to build the courts at Kiwanis Field. The Conservation Commission will hold a hearing on the project tonight at 7.30.
12: Mixture of sun and clouds again today a high of 64 to 68 with a light south breeze scattered clouds tonight evening temps in the 50s an overnight low of 38 to 44 partly sunny skies again tomorrow a high of 62 to 66 partly to mostly sunny on Friday a high in the low 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis on 101.5 WHMP.
7: The Western Mass Business Show, with local dynamo, Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP.
10: Brought to you by Business West, the vital business news in Western Mass is in Business West.
7: The Western Mass Business Show, with Tara Brewster, WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo, Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMB.
10: Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank, with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin Counties. Greenfieldsavings.com.
7: The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMB.
10: Find local news and local talk for the Valley.
6: It wasn't necessary and it probably wasn't even appropriate on the one hand. I don't want that to sound like I don't support schools. I have a long history of supporting schools, certainly longer than any one of those city councilors.
7: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP News, Information and the Arts. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue
0: our broadcast live from the River Valley Co-op in East Hampton, the East Hampton store. There, of course, is one in Northampton as well. We were here with Lynn vanander from the Co-op Power and Randy Zucco from Collective Copies, Suzette Snow Cobb from the Neighboring Food Cooperative, Beth Spong from Dean's Beans Workers Co-op, and Lloyd Miller from the Old Creamery Co-op. We were talking during the during our time away from the mics about what this co-op month means what its slogan is what is being celebrated what it means for the community we had continued that conversation buzz why don't you bring our listeners in on it please
1: well it is uh this the theme for this year's national co-op month is owning our identity and um there is the national cooperative business association is involved with this and suzette uh snow cobb you were just um Actually, describing for us how this came about this month.
3: So every year um, during for October, the National Cooperative Business Association, the sort of apex cross-sector organization for cooperatives in the, the U.S., determines a a theme. And this year's theme was is owning our identity. Basically, uh, encouraging cooperatives to. Um, to share what makes them unique, what makes them uh, excellent business models um, and and owning that identity.
1: Uh, it's really fantastic. I, I think I want to circle back because um, what what uh, Randy zucko was talking about before, actually what each of you are talking about before, we've been talking about the business model and the impact of worker-controlled, worker-owned uh, models, uh, which is just warms the cockles of my heart. But there's the other thing that tends to happen. And and you, Randy, were talking about the value of being in the community and not having dollars drained from the community. And inevitably, I'm looking at you, Lloyd Miller, and thinking about the Creamery when I first met it maybe 52 years ago with Camille on the top of it. It's just a better business. It's a more comfortable place to be. It's got really fine groceries, and you can sit down and have a wonderful bowl of soup and a good cup of coffee and for those of
0: our listeners who missed it camille is
1: a cow
5: Uh, (laughs) (laughs) she's iconic she's
1: on the roof they're on route nine at the creamery in Cummington. as you're heading west or or east i suppose is a Uh, good place to stop and so how have you made it so responsive to what the community wants as opposed to just what the owners have an idea about
2: well you know uh we're we're fortunate to have a a a large number of our community be owners so you know it's it's a lot of crossover but you know at the end of the day people vote with their dollars you know and so uh you know cooperative any small business which is really what we are is a small business you know uh it's an ongoing experiment you know when you're not Uh, beholden to like a a profit model when you don't have to siphon all that away okay that does it what it does is it opens you up to to try things you know how can we benefit our staff how can we benefit our uh, owners how can we benefit our immediate community because it's the owner's wishes to benefit the immediate community not just themselves right so it's, it's a constant, ongoing experiment. And, um, you know, we, we, we just you just pay attention and you try to balance the wants and needs of everybody towards a, a cooperative, collective whole.
1: I would just like to follow with Beth Spong um, from Dean's Beans that Dean's Beans famously, for decades, was involved in co ops of, of indigenous people, giving them more uh, power, a better product in terms of the coffee their um environmental concerns are, are considered in the process of the business and i think that when i when i encounter a co-op a worker-owned worker-controlled business they tend to be greener they tend to want to find out what the community wants and to be more responsive to what the community is needing so what are what are your, what's your i thoughts would
4: absolutely on that? agree with that and as a company we have a a stated and explicit commitment to put people in the planet before profit and that has been true for for many many years and so as we so as part of our decision making filter right so we have a, a series of options and we consider how does this benefit people how does it benefit the planet and we worry about the profit part later after we clarify where our values lie in terms of decision making and you know this is Your show is called Talk the Talk. I think today really is about walk the talk, right? That in the co-op world, people are, and businesses and organizations are values driven and really focused on how do we walk the talk about what it means to be community, what it means to honor the environment and the planet, what it means to value people, and, um, and bringing that all together.
0: I would like to know how you solve the issue of workers saying, I want to earn more money, I want a living wage, and the co-ops need to have a business model that works. Because without the business, we don't have any business ownership. So can you tell me how that tension gets resolved?
4: So Dean's Beans has been paying a living wage for a long time as a starting point, And so that's a company value. And I think there's more work for us to do there as the economic realities of life continue to evolve. Um, So that's, that's a starting point for us.
7: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg.
11: I'm that guy.
5: When you Google shoulder pain, my face pops up.
0: But you don't have to be sidelined by pain anymore. Call QC Kinetics to learn more about biologic therapies. Don't let your joint pain keep you
5: from doing the things you love. There's a new natural solution that patients are raving about. QC Kinetics. Let QC Kinetics help you improve your quality of life.
12: Call QC Kinetics, 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. You want the very best opportunities for your child. Given the amount of time
10: children spend in school each day, you want your child to be inspired, to be engaged, to love going to school. At Bement, each student experiences this every day. The Bement School in Deerfield is a close-knit community of students from around the valley and across the globe, kindergarten through ninth grade, learning from each other in the classroom, rooting for each other on the athletic field, and celebrating each other on the stage. We are local, we are global, and our differences make us stronger. We interact face-to-face, share meals together every day, and open doors for one another. The true essence of your child's time at Bement is preparing for a life of integrity, of significance, of joy. Financial aid and transportation are available to help make a Bement school education possible. I'm Kim Lachlan, Director of Admission. Please contact me or visit our
9: website. Bement will be the best investment you make in your child's future.
7: Listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
0: We continue our conversation on Talk the Talk. Buzz, you, have, you were making a point. Where some, we have somehow moved to Ashfield again, but I guess we're going to hear more. No, no,
1: I wasn't talking about Ashfield, but I was talking about it. And I guess I really wanted to, to hear from maybe Lynn uh, Benander yeah. about this notion of democracy in the workplace.
6: Absolutely. And I, I think that there, um, there's evolving understanding about what best practices look like in democracy. And democracy doesn't always, it's not always fun. I live in Shelburne Falls, our town meetings sometimes go on for days. Um, But it's the best thing we got, you know, to really honor everybody's opinions and make the best decisions possible. At Co-op Power, we use a process called sociocracy. Which um, Say, I whoa, think. Stop!
0: Stop! Say that again.
6: Sociocracy. Uh, okay. It's a it's a you know it's a, a body of thought about how groups can make decisions together and raise up all of the most important ideas and come up with the best decisions possible. We make decisions by consent instead of consensus. That forces you can't have a decision until everybody agrees. It's hard to run a business that way, but consent means you can make a decision as long as no one objects, which energetically has a very different feel to it. And I love it. And um, we've been using that at Co-op Power for 20 years. And the businesses that we've helped start off and use that too. And the the boards of directors meetings, it it means instead of either or, which is kind of the decision making process in in, uh, capitalism, Um, where you're either going to meet the needs of the community or you're going to get profits to your investors. We are making both and decisions, whether it's a worker co-op or a consumer co-op or a producer co-op. We're making both and decisions like the members aren't going to say, "Okay, we're going to make more money if we move our um, our operations overseas. They're going to lose their jobs. They're going to make that decision. They're going to make a decision that says we need to be sustainable economically and we want good jobs. Or and as consumers, we want these products and services. So it's both and. How do we run an effective, sustainable business that meets our values and provide the kinds of products and services or the jobs that as members we want here?
1: It serves every member, every owner to serve the community better because that means their own self-interest is being at the same time satisfied.
0: So take us back. I, I, I'm still bothered about your job interview, to be totally honest, Randy. <laughs> I, 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 I'm i worried about the 14 people, but I really w- do want to understand, and maybe we could go back to, and to Lynn on this, uh, of Co-op Power, how many people are sitting around making decisions? I mean, there are jobs to be done. I, there is work to be done. I just want to
6: throw out this best practices in, in human resources that You know, uh, we're we're all kind of evolving through, and um, that sounds like a rough experience. I'm so sorry, Randy. (laughs) But you have lived to tell the tale. Here you are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm sorry. I forgot your question
0: I'm really interested in the decision-making process because I love the idea of cooperative uh, ventures together and people being in the same boat together and having an ultimate objective to be there for each other. I wonder about the logistics of it and the practicality of all this on in scale. So, so maybe you could talk about that. It's,
6: it's, it's one of the things you learn in cooperative governance and cooperative management is how to help groups of people identify what they care about most, what's most important to them, what decisions they need and want to make as owners. And then you facilitate a process where you figure out what do we know, what do we need to know, where are we now, where do we want to go, and you get there together. Um, but it's it's uh, again it's it's a it's a facilitated process where you have small groups feeding information into larger groups. You use surveys. You um, consult with focus groups. You you know whatever you need to do to collect the information so that you're raising up. Um, the information that people need to collectively make a decision together.
0: Yes,
1: please.
4: So uh, we worked with, have been working and continue to work with a Cooperative Development Institute.
1: This is Beth Sprung.
4: That's right. From um, Dean's
1: Beans.
0: See, we're and all cooperating on how we. And, <laughs> it's and do. a beautiful thing. <laughs> the way it takes. Can I four- talk
4: now? <laughs> <laughs> it only took four of us to
7: do the introduction. <laughs>
4: this is it in real life cooperation. And so we just had a couple of weeks ago. Um, two folks from CDI came and did an all-day training CDI. with us. Co- Cooperative Development Institute um, to do an, a full-day training with us. And part of the training was with the entire group um the morning was with the board and me as um the management and then the entire group and one of the questions or one of the ways of just sort of deciphering how to move forward is is called the test for significance like is this a management decision or is it a board decision well does it affect the likely survival of the co-op does it affect the basic character of the co-op Does it change policy for hiring or terminating members? So if it passes that test, like for example, if I decide, if I, could I decide, well, we're going to just sell conventional coffee now, we're not going to sell organic coffee. That would change the character of the company. And so that would mean that I couldn't make that decision, the board would have to make that decision. And then there's the test for extensiveness. Does the particular issue affect a large number of the members? Does it commit a substantial portion of financial resources? And does it affect operations over a long period of time? If any of those things are true, any of those things are true, then the whole membership gets to make the decision versus just the board. And so these are some of the tools that we're learning for how we can go about making decisions.
1: You know, once in 1971, I was uh, a volunteer with the uh, food co-op in San Francisco. I I was doing cheese. Um, I was big into cheese at that time. But there was a sign when you first entered where the cheese was kept, and it it quoted Oscar Wilde as saying, "Uh, I love the idea of socialism, but it takes too many evenings. And then it had the person in charge of our food co-op quoted he said yeah but they're wonderful
13: evenings
0: (laughs) so tell me tell me this how do you as cooperative members resolve this issue ultimately of the need to pay a living wage with what is in the interest of for example food co-ops who want to have the lowest possible cost for their members how does that get resolved and, and maybe it's not resolvable, but I would appreciate any thoughts you might want to share. How about uh, uh, collective copies? Uh, Randy Zucker, you want to tell us about that? Because
2: you have that issue.
11: I would like to pass it to. Oh,
2: okay. To okay, you. well, you know, as a food co op, you know, this is Lloyd over at the old creamery. So, Lloyd Miller. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, oh, it's a constant battle. And, you know, just to pick up on something that was said earlier, you know, part of the struggle is that you have to do well before you can do good. Right. So the first thing you have to do is make sure that you are, you know, a a, uh, a an existing business, a sustainable
3: business, a sustainable
2: model. business. Absolutely. You gotta. You gotta. You can't lean on your membership forever to support you, and you gotta actually turn that profit. But in a in a in a nitty gritty, you know, uh, microscopic sense, when you're talking about, for me, the answer has always been you don't. You set a wage scale that's very clear to everybody, and you. Don't set it too far out. It's, this is our wage scale for the next year or two, and we'll see how things go. If we do better, we share more. you know. And so that's the idea.
0: Well, let me go back, if I might, to, to Beth Spong from Dean's Beans for a minute, and I'm not trying to intrude. Oh, actually, I am. Uh, but, <laughs> but Dean sold the business to the workers. He could have sold that business to a large corporation for a gazillion, give or take, dollars. And I'm wondering whether or not his generosity to the workers is something that has carried on and or made a big difference in allowing this to go forward. Dean's means to go forward as a cooperative venture.
4: Absolutely. And we were all, we're all very aware that he had plenty of options in terms of how he wanted to manage his retirement and that transition. And as in the process of working with the Cooperative Development Institute and Really establishing and affirming our values as a company, um, we the, the entire team is 100% committed to the values that Dean started and ran the business on, and so that's where we're going forward. We're committed to our relationships with the coffee farmers, to paying them fairly, to um, continuing with organic coffee. We're committed to our development work in the coffee lands. And in cooperation with part with the farmers, and we're committed to being an organic, um, values-driven um, company. And I would disagree with Lloyd. I think that that notice
0: the cooperative and generous way in which that disagreement is expressed.
4: <laughs> uh, because I, we, the company was based, you know, founded on a certain set of values, and Dean did it at 30 years ago, which was a different environment. As an experiment, let's see if we can create a company, if I can create a company that benefits farmers, that is good for the environment and makes a profit. If it doesn't work, I'll make it, I'll turn it into a nonprofit and that'll be the end of that. It turns out that he was able to build the business, a successful business model on top of those values. And so I think that you can start from a business model or you can start from values, but they have to, in in the cooperative world, they have to come together pretty quickly. Well,
2: for (laughs) sure. I guess my only point would be that if you're not in business, you can't help anyone. True that. Yeah. Amen to that. We are broadcasting
0: live from the River Valley Co-op in East Hampton. We've been speaking with Lynn Menander from Co-op Power and Suzette Snow-Cobb from Neighboring Food Cooperative, Beth Spong from Dean's Beans, Lloyd Miller from the Old Creamery Co-op, did I forget Suzette Snow-Cobb, I hope not, from Neighboring Food Cooperative. Randy. Randy. Oh I I'm sorry. We have a lot of cooperative people here being very cooperative on this co- co-op month. It is national co-op month and we are broadcasting live from the River Valley Co-op in East Hampton. I want to thank all of you for being with us and I want to thank you for the vital important and generous work that you bring to this valley.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank great you great so much. Great to be much. here. I'm
1: through and through. And my girl
7: Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable homeownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity pvhabitat.org.
4: Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? You have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today.
7: WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turners Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg.
1: And I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, we are here, we're remote from uh, River Valley Co op here in East Hampton in their East Hampton uh, store. And we are celebrating Co op month with a radio roundtable of some distinguished co-op people it is co-op month which is a national celebration uh this month of october it's an annual opportunity to raise awareness about this incredible trusted now proven now model of how to do business and uh, this year uh, the theme of co-op month is owning our identity which is just too cool and too interesting And we're going to talk about that with some of our distinguished guests here but i want to start with jeff Berdine. Um Greenfield Farmers Co-op Exchange. I've been loving it for a very long time, but long before I encountered it, it existed. Could you tell us a little bit about the history of Farmers Exchange in Greenfield? So in
5: 1918, four farmers um, raised $50. I have
1: to interrupt you. Did you say 1918? 1918. That's what I thought you said.
5: Um, $50 started to co-op. There was no store. They... um, gathered orders from local farms, and when they came in, they met at the rail yard and unloaded rail cars, and they all helped each other out. Ended up making enough money they could build a warehouse, and then they expanded multiple times. That was on the railroad tracks in Greenfield, and then in the late 60s, they moved to High Street.
1: And it has been flourishing there ever since, I think. Can you tell us a little bit about the business model that represents the exchange?
5: So we have a board of directors, uh, nine farmers, um, they are on three-year terms at annual meetings, there's elections, and they try to keep it at three per year. So if there's turnover, we have still have knowledge on the board. Uh, they hired a general manager to run the day to day business, and that's me. Um, it's uh, We just finished our th- three best years ever in both sales and profitability uh, going through COVID.
1: So you started in a pandemic and you're flourishing in a pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. It's really incredible. So, so this uh, agricultural based model, mm-hmm. right? The members are actually farmers.
5: Correct. We have over a thousand members. I, I don't have the exact number. They all have one vote. And they also have my ear a little bit more than a regular customer. If they want a certain product, um, if there's problems at the store or something like that, I'll listen to them a little bit closer.
1: I'm always stunned by the breadth of the inventory there. That Obviously, some of it isn't made by local people. Some of it is, well, yeah. oh, why don't you explain it?
5: Yeah. Um, we have over 50,000 SKUs in the store. Uh, we have our family farm's milk, diamond eggs. We have Cabot Cheese, which is another cooperative, and some of our um, members are members of Cabot. Um, we sell strawberries in season, asparagus, um, whole corn from uh, Llewellyn Farm in Northfield. So we have selling corn that's grown in, in Massachusetts. We try to bring in as many as we can. There's more than what I've listed. Um, but then we, we do sell you know, national brands, too.
1: And how do you sort of communicate with 1,000 members? I mean, it doesn't sound easy. That's going to be one heck of a board meeting with all 1,000
0: <laughs> of you in a room. I am all ears on yeah. this.
5: This is going to be like the house of representatives, yeah. I think. I'd say most of the communications one-on-one with them. Just talking to them one-on-one and then we do emails um, uh, to our members newsletters to our members um, and then we have an annual meeting and that happens once a year Um, we are required in our bylaws to feed them so people do show up (laughs) Um, and that's when they have their elections and we do our business report
1: what a burden to have to feed them and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But speaking of our family farms, we have General Manager Angie Facey. Now, I think Good I'm. Good morning. Uh, hello. I I was lucky enough to moderate a film about um, uh, uh, about your business, and I think it was another Facey that I talked to. It was the uh, male, a seasoned Warren? male. Yeah,
14: my father-in-law, Warren. Yes. <laughs>
1: and yes. I think he was one of the founders.
14: Yes. Warren and my mother-in-law, Sandy, were one of the founders of Our Family Farms. Um, So we started back in 1997. Uh, A group of eight dairy farmers got together um, because they wanted to figure out how to earn more for their efforts. Selling milk just to the wholesale market, like to a co-op such as AgriMark or DFA, you're not getting a lot of money for it. And it's federally regulated um, and the, the price is set by the government, so they don't take into consideration cost of production or, or anything like that when they pay you. So um, by being able to capture more of the retail dollar, the um, farms were able to sustain for a long time. Um, unfortunately, through attrition and you know people, i think you were talking in the last hour about kids taking over businesses not many dairy farmers kids are taking over businesses right now um they just they don't want to work 365 days a year and and yada yada so we're fortunate that um there was a farm to take over for my husband and i from my um in-laws
1: i remember um uh, amy klippenstein who was one of the co-owners along with her husband uh, Paul Lisinski of Sidehill Farms. Yes. And when they finally sold their herd, they're still making the yogurt. But when they sold their uh, herd, I said, "So how's it doing for you?" And she said, "I discovered this new thing I never knew about. It's called weekends." <laughs> <laughs>
14: I haven't yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Why do you think so many of this cooperative, uh, these models, began with agricultural models? Why do you think farmers figured out that cooperatively they can? function better than if they try to go it alone
14: that's a good question um farmers are a pretty close-knit community um so it was probably easier to gather all the farmers and then you know 100 years ago everybody was farmers and now they're not so it's different now but um they tend to work together well i mean yes in a co-op it's sometimes difficult but you, know, you end up you have the same goal in mind um, and the same main ideas, and um, I believe that's why it works well.
0: Could you explain how the cooperative model works? Because it occurs to me, and I'm happy to be told I'm wrong, that there's uh, co- there's competition here as well as cooperation. Am-, am I wrong? Tell me I'm wrong.
14: Competition between whom? Far- farmers. Um, well, in our co-op, there, there's no competition amongst the eight that were in our co-op. Okay. I mean, there is competition for our brand against other local brands. Okay. Um, but our co-op, it was formed um, so that everybody that put something in, which was mostly sweat equity in the beginning, was able to get something out to help keep them in business. Okay. So.
0: And so this is kind of one for all and all for one in that? Among the, <laughs> yes. That, got it. Thank you. <laughs>
1: We are celebrating uh, Co-op Month, a national celebration and national recognition of the importance of the Co-op model. And we're here remote at a River Valley Co-op in their East Hampton store. And that sound that you hear is the sound of the East, uh, East Hampton traffic driving by.
0: It's the sound of commerce, business, Ooh. people doing things for the community. Well, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, a, and an occasional rumbling truck. I got
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And we are here with some... some really uh, stalwart members of the co-op community, including uh, Kristen Howard. You are with Real Pickles Co-op. So tell us a little bit about Real Pickles and um, and, and its movement towards cooperative model.
15: Yeah, thanks for having us. Um, so Real Pickles started in 2001, um, and we, were, we started out with a strong social mission. Let me just
1: ask you, where are you located?
15: Oh, sorry, we're in Greenfield. Um, so we started with the strong social mission of wanting to buy 100% organic produce, buy it from within the Northeast, and sell what we make.
1: So who was Northeast. we at that time? That's a good
15: question. It was not me. <laughs> so in 2001, um, Real Pickles was started by a couple, Dan Rosenberg and Addie Rose Holland, um, and they just saw this need of... Um, Uh, fermented vegetables being sort of this traditional, healthy food preservation method that wasn't really used commercially. And so they were one of the first people um, to do this commercially um, in the Northeast and really within the United States. There are a handful of other small businesses. Um, So they were around for about 10 years doing this, making connections with local organic farms, finding outlets who were interested in selling it to their customers, like River Valley Co-op. Um, and about 10 years in, they started thinking about what real pickles could look like without them. Um, and you know, I heard a little bit of talk in the first hour about who do you sell your business to and wh- what might happen to it after you sell it. Um, and I, at that point, had been working for them. Um, and we started talking about this idea of a worker co-op. Um, and kind of through a longish process, couple year process, year and a half process, we converted Real Pickles into a worker co-op with the idea that as a co-op, we could write some of the founding principles um, and mission of Real Pickles into our founding documents. So we, it's in our bylaws that um, we only do, we do 100% organic, that we only buy North, Northeast produce, that we only sell within the Northeast. And it's pretty unusual for businesses to sort of like imagine constraints for themselves. And we really feel like um, Northeast. We want to be promoting Northeast agriculture and sort of seeing ourselves as as part of a regional food system. So we became a co-op in 2013. Um, Dan and Addie have stayed with us, um, and just now in the past year have started thinking about moving on. Um, And the reason that I'm here is that I'm going to be the next general manager, as Dan, who's been our general manager as we've been a co-op, is planning to leave Real Pickles. So. It's sort of this long-term succession story for us, of becoming a co-op, keeping our founders on, and then transitioning real pickles into the next chapter.
1: How did that conversation begin? You said it took a year and a half, but um, whose, whose idea originally was it, hey, let's talk about whether we could become a worker's own Business. Mm-hmm.
15: Yeah, it's hard to say where it came from. Um I had been working before Real Pickles at Equal Exchange Co-op out in Boston. So I'd come from a worker co-op and I loved everything that Dan and Addie were doing at Real Pickles and felt like, oh, the only thing it isn't is a worker co-op. <laughs> you know, I guess I have to give this part of what I love up to, you know, be moving moving on. And that was when I moved out to Western Mass. Um, so it really just became be, be started as conversations um, between us and we pulled in different members of the community who had some experience and talked with them about what it could look like um, we ended up there there ended up being five staff people who like were excited about this idea of becoming members of a excuse me of a co-op um, and we just worked for um, all this time to write bylaws, imagine what real pickles might look like and did we want to own a business together? Did Dan and Addie sort of trust us <laughs> to sell us the co op? Um, and kind of by the, through all that process, we sort of came to the conclusion that yes, like we all liked each other and
4: trusted each other.
0: At the risk yeah. of asking a really yeah, dumb yeah. question, yeah. did you all really like
15: pickles?
4: Uh, Yeah,
1: When I was a little kid and I wanted to be a professional baseball player, did you say one day I'm going to make pickles?
15: (laughs) I never said one day I'm going to make pickles. (laughs) Absolutely. I think for a lot of us it was really this like organic local agriculture um, and healthy food, you know, healthy food systems. um, Thinking about how do you preserve local food so that, you know, you can eat it in seasons of the year when there isn't a lot of local food around. So I feel like that. Um, I, there are a few of us who I would say like are a little pickle crazy, but for the most part, <laughs> I feel like it was um, it was uh, the local food aspect that that all kind of got us there and we definitely we have a great food culture at real Pickles, so we do some really nice staff lunches and People bring in stuff all the time. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun food spot.
0: And is real pickles limited exclusively to pickles? I told you I was on a series yeah, of dumb yeah, yeah. questions here, but that's yep. one of them.
15: So we do. Um, we call it. We say organic fermented vegetables. So we do dill pickles, like you think of as pickles. We also think of pickles as kimchi, sauerkraut. So any vegetable that um, is preserved in an acidic, um, preserved in preserved in an acidic way, is a pickle. So it doesn't have to look like a cucumber
14: pickle to be a pickle, okay. in our opinion.
15: Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: never going to th- think of sauerkraut the same way, I guess. Right. Okay, got it. Yeah. So we and, and, are celebrating uh, Co-op Month, the national celebration, national recognition. And there are some really heroes of cooperative business model right here. Among us, mostly, we've been talking to people who are involved in the distribution of food or the growing of food, um, the processing of food. But um, not all co-op models involve food, and with us representing the UMass Five College Federal Credit Union is Craig Boyman. Hello, Craig. Good morning, thanks for having me. Uh, it is absolutely a pleasure to have you. So why don't you tell us about what the credit union does, the UMass Five College
16: Credit Union, and how it's involved in the co-op movement. Absolutely. So um, I think it's a misnomer that people don't know, but all credit unions are, in fact, cooperatives. So UMass 5, uh, we started in 1967 on the campus of UMass, where a group of employees got together and said, we want more control over uh, where we do our banking. And so those employees got together. They formed the UMass Employee Credit Union at the time. By the way, I think part of the conversation when it started, I learned,
1: involved apartheid. And banks investing in South Africa at a time that people didn't want it to.
16: So. That's exactly it. So it sort of um, formed in, in sort of this alternative. And um, I guess a long story, fast forward to today, we're serving over 50,000 people, uh, most of them right here in the Pioneer Valley. Uh, and the big difference uh, with credit unions is that, uh, one, we're nonprofit, and two, it's the way that... Um, We're structured, right? So the folks who bank with us, they put in a $5 savings uh, with us, and that entitles them to uh, run for our volunteer board of directors. We have nine of them. Uh, It also entitles you to vote for our board of directors. So you you do have direct control into... um, where we're heading in terms of our mission and vision, and I think that's a really big difference between us and a lot of the other, especially if you're thinking of corporate bank that's publicly traded, right? Their goals are to make money for the people who invested in them. Our mission and our, the way that we're set up, we're just truly here to help people get through and, and have a, a better chance to have a good financial life.
0: I have the same question for you that I've had in years past, but I'd really like to understand it more. Does this cooperative model give UMass 5 College Credit Union a advantage in the marketplace because you don't have to produce the profit?
16: I think it really does. Um, so because we're not set out to make profit for folks who invested in us, we can invest that money directly back into the folks who bank with us. So oftentimes you'll find better rates at a credit union than especially a corporate bank. Uh, we charge less fees. Uh, and I think we're actually able to have a more diverse range of products and services. Um, you know, we're local, so that helps because we know the folks who are working and living here in the Valley, we can cater towards their needs. Um, and a great example of that at UMass 5, we're really big into st- sustainability lending. So we do a lot with solar loans, so folks who want to go green with their houses. Um, speaking of local agriculture, we have a 0% farm share loan, where if someone were to go and want to get a CSA at one of our great local farms, it can oftentimes be a lot of money up front to, to pony up 400 to $800 if you have a family plan. So we developed a loan where folks come to us, we pay the farmer that money, we charge that person 0% interest, and they pay us back all summer long in installments, so they can have access to the bountiful uh, fruits and veggies that our valley produces every year.
1: There's a recurring theme here
16: which uh,
1: should not escape us, which is when we talk about the cooperative movement, we talk about workers-controlled and workers-owned and and, uh, depositors being stakeholders in a business. We're talking about community. We're talking about businesses that care about the community in which they operate. And we're going to continue that conversation right after this.
7: This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. tag your it tom hartman weekdays at noon tom hartman program your home for the resistance commentary conversation and common cause join me tom hartman every weekday from noon to three right here on whmp 1015 and 1400 whmp
11: franklin county has a vibrant history of farming At the Franklin County House of Correction, we bring that history to life with education and vocational programs around farming and gardening. Incarcerated men and women learn to work in active, organic garden. Best of all, they harvest, they send home to help support and feed their families. This is Sheriff Chris Donnellan, and I can't think of better therapy than farming and feeding your family. That's the history of Franklin County, and we honor it at the Sheriff's Office every day.
10: Jazz isn't kids stuff, yet the Emmett-Cohen Trio is positively playful with a musically adventurous spirit. They're bringing it to UMass October 19th. The pure joy of creative expression. Jazz fans the world over know it when they hear it, and they hear it when Emmett plays. Emmett Cohen Trio at UMass. Get tickets now at the UMass Fine Arts Center website. A consummate, all-encompassing jazz pianist, young and daring musical energy moving the jazz tradition forward. The Emmett Cohen Trio, Thursday, October 19th, Falker Auditorium at UMass Amherst.
7: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back. We are celebrating Co-op Month, which is to celebrate cooperatives nationwide uh, during this month of October. It's an opportunity to just recognize the extraordinary business model that co-ops represent and their ties to the community in which they Operate. We are being hosted today, graciously, by River Valley Co-op here in their East Hampton store. And with us is Rochelle. Uh, per, I always do it wrong. It's Prudy, right? Yes. There. Okay. So tell us about River Valley Co-op. And um, how, how, did it, how did it come to be? When did it come to be?
0: And what kind of a co-op is it?
8: So River Valley Co-op is a consumer-owned co-op. And we're 15 years old as being open uh, this year. And we have over 15,000 co op owners. Um, So, the whole idea of co ops, of uh, consumer co ops, food co ops in particular, um, is a lot of people with a little bit of money can pool it in order to have a big impact on the community to do something that they want to do and provide access. And so it's, it's really about, um, uh, uh, you know, it takes a grocery stores are expensive to, um, to, uh, build and operate and it's a very low margin business, but food is so essential, um, and so essential to our local economy, especially here, um, you know, where we have uh, so many great local farmers. Um, uh, but, all, you know, even, even in urban areas, access to food is an important aspect that people um, have long been pooling their resources in order to have community control of their food source.
1: And how did you, personally, Rochelle, uh, how, did, how did you get involved with the co-op movement?
8: Oh, gosh. So uh, you're dating me here. So in the <laughs> 70s, uh, um, I was a volunteer at a food co-op, um, in a food co-op that um, uh, all of the cashiers were volunteers, and I was one of those, and then I got hired. And um, and then I got to do a lot of different jobs in, in co-ops uh, uh, through that process. So, um, so I've been... Um, Uh, I was a consumer of a co-op. I was a member of a um, co-op since I think I I joined my first co-op when I was 16. Um, So I've been in co-ops for a long time.
0: Could you tell us a bit more about this phrase you just used, that grocery stores are a low-margin business? And I think I know... The answer to what we you mean by low margin, but explain that to our listeners because you are running at a very successful business model in a very difficult business. So tell us about that.
8: Sure, you know I, I read an article um, uh, uh, put out by some uh, food marketing institute that said that cons- that uh, with the inflation that we've had, that consumers have this belief. The grocery stores are making like a 30% net profit. And, um, and I was astounded because even the big grocery stores make like less than 1% usually. Um, so you know, they,
0: sell, they sell a dollar's worth of produce, they make a penny.
8: Correct. Or maybe a penny and a half if it's a good year, or maybe two. You know, some uh some make a little bit more sometimes it can get up to three three cents on the dollar um but um yeah so it's a it's a it's a thin margin it's a
0: tough business yes okay but you have made a go of it the river the river valley co-op has been hugely successful okay at the risk of asking a question you don't want to divulge what's the secret sauce how'd you do it
6: <laughs> well,
8: I think. I that mean, you've
0: been the GM here for a long time. How, how do you do it?
8: Well, it's it's because really it's it's a combination of the community that's here, and the people that shop in the store, the people that work in the store, and it's our other co-op connections. I sit around this table um, with my co-op friends. Um, I heard the earlier show with more of my co-op friends. My local radio station, like, considers it important to do this this show every month. I mean, this is this is people working together for a common mission to uh, create the future that we want. That's what we're about.
1: Well, let me – by the way, I love that. That was incredibly moving uh, for me, but I, I want to go back to Angie Facey from our family – Farms, you um, and your group of collectively-owned products, you sell to River Valley.
14: Yes. Um, Yes, we do. Why
1: don't you talk about that relationship, what it means for your farmers?
14: Um, Actually, both River Valley stores are two of our biggest customers. Um, They're easy to work with. They always want to promote us whenever they can. the dairy managers are really easy to work with. They're, you know, just fun and helpful. Um, so working with other co-ops is important because they understand what we're going through, too. So um, that helps a lot. You know, we're um, all members of Jeff's co-op, the Greenfield Farmers Exchange. We buy a lot of sauerkraut. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so we
14: all work together. So and keep it's important because keeping our farms in business helps keep the community Thriving um, dairy farms in Massachusetts preserve about 100,000 acres um, in the state, so we keep it as open space. It's not going up as strip malls or parking lots or whatnot. Um, and we do business with everybody local. Besides the local co-ops, you know, our veterinarian is local, our electrician, our plumber, our contractor. Everyone's local. I can't I can't buy grain on Amazon.
0: <laughs> I have a question about dairy farms. Just to take a slight sure. detour. And in particular, I'd like to know whether uh, oat milk and soy milk and uh, other kinds of uh, substitutes for milk are putting economic pressure on the dairy oh, farms.
14: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, the um, the those substitutes. Thank you for calling it that. <laughs> um, they're putting it out there that they're they are a substitute for milk, and they're not. They're not nutritionally the same. You know, milk is something that you could sustain on um it has water it has protein it has fat it has you know nine essential nutrients so um there's a whole generation of kids now that aren't getting whole milk in schools because when they redid the um school milk or the school lunch program in 2010 they made it illegal to have whole milk in schools so we've lost so many um milk drinkers because of that so and People, you know, I understand if you have a, a lactose um, allergy or stuff like that, like absolutely go to something else, but it is not a substitute for milk. So, yes, it has hurt our, our industry tremendously. I mean, go to the grocery store. Half of it is now oat milk and, well, Al- nut alman,
0: juice. Almond milk. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> what would you call it, nut juice? Nut juice. <laughs> <laughs> it's it. not
14: milk.
1: <laughs> uh, Kristen Howard of Real Pickles. So this has been an extremely brutal and challenging year for farmers. Um, The incessant rains that we suffered, the washing away, we've said it on on the air numerous times, that in a drought, you have a tough year. But when the topsoil's being washed away, that's another thing entirely. So what kind of impact has that had on, that was a big truck that drove by right there. Um, And we are uh, remote at River Valley here in East Hampton. We're next to the highway, but it's a wonderful place to be. And uh, we're so happy to be uh, hosted for co-op months. But I was asking you, uh, Kristen Howard, about whether or not the production of pickles, cucumbers has uh, impacted on real pickles ability to do what it does and how, whether being a co-op has helped in that regard.
15: Yeah, so this has been one of the most challenging harvest seasons that I've seen in my 12 years at Real Pickles. Um, the, we typically, you know, when we started, cucumber season was, you know, eight weeks, starting at the end of June through August. And this year, you know, it was more like, we think of it now as like, okay, it's no longer eight weeks, it's six weeks, and now it's really four weeks. And this year was even worse than that. And we got our last cucumber delivery from our main supplier farm, Mountain View Farm, on July 8th, which is just unheard of for us. Um, And we, so it's been a really hard vegetable season for us. Um, Even, you know, the red cabbage and cabbage and beets and carrots, so many things, um, the harvest time was delayed this year which just makes us have to sort of reevaluate our whole production calendar. Cause we, since we make everything from local vegetables, we have a narrow window in which to make it. If we were buying cabbage from California, we could make it year round um, and it would be so much easier on our systems. But because we've chosen to do what we do, everything is very tight. Um, I would say in terms of being a co-op, the main thing I think is that our co-op members are our employees and all of us, I think, just really care about Real Pickles and we have a stake in the business that we wouldn't have. You know, I was an employee of Real Pickles before we became a co-op and I was completely devoted to Real Pickles. And at the end of the day, I could kind of go home and like feel like I've done my piece of my job. And now as a member, I feel much more connected and invested um, all of the people, many of the people doing our production, our members. Um, so I think it just makes all of us be thinking about solutions and thinking more about how can, how can what we do on, the da- on our daily basis um, be better for the business overall.
1: What a unique um, sort of model where you actually care about the product and people work, t- work together towards a common goal and they take pride in what they do. And find it satisfying. It's an incredible model. We are going to take a break and we're going to continue our celebration of co-op month right after this.
0: I'll never
8: let
7: show. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
13: For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Red Cross is assisting after a house fire in East Hampton last night left multiple people without a home. Northampton, Southampton, and Barnes Air National Guard were called in to help the East Hampton Fire Department around 8 p.m. last night. The cause of the fire was determined to be combustibles that were placed too close to a lit candle. Holyoke police are searching for 28 year old Kermit Alvarez, who has been identified as the third suspect in the shooting in downtown Holyoke last week that led to the death of an infant. The two other suspects in the crime have already been arraigned and are being held without bail. They're due back in court November 3rd. Greenfield's health director Jennifer Hoffman has resigned from her role. In a letter to the mayor, Hoffman wrote of the pressure of working under constant scrutiny, and she stated that six people have allegedly been harassing her. Mayor Wiedegardner said the constant scrutiny and petty criticisms of city employees is an epidemic in public service today. Several hundred members of the Jewish community gathered together Monday night in Northampton, Amherst and Springfield to show solidarity and share their emotions and trauma over the ongoing attacks in Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared war on Hamas after the attacks on Israeli citizens by the Islamic Nationalist and Militant Organization, which controls the Gaza Strip. And pickleball is coming to Amherst. Town officials are looking to use $120,000 in Community Preservation Act money to build the courts at Kiwanis Field. The Conservation Commission will hold a hearing on the project tonight at 730.
12: Mixture of sun and clouds again today, a high of 64 to 68 with a light south breeze. Scattered clouds tonight, evening temps in the 50s, an overnight low of 38 to 44. Partly sunny skies again tomorrow, a high of 62 to 66. Partly to mostly sunny on Friday, a high in the low 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis on 101.5 WHMP.
7: dot com.
8: Hi, I'm Jane Wolf, Executive Vice President of Residential Lending, asking you to come on over
14: to
9: the co-op. It just makes sense. And dollars, Jane. I'm Angie McClay, Residential Loan Underwriter, and we want you to know we've extended our mortgage promo, so there's more time to save on your mortgage closing
8: costs. That's right. There's still time to save up to $1,250 when you obtain a pre-approval from GCB. We make it easy to apply online at bestlocalbank.com or at any of our branch locations.
9: Our local experienced mortgage team is happy to help walk you through the process and answer any questions you may have. So apply online or come see us in person and receive a
8: $750 closing cost credit plus an additional $500 when we pre-approve you.
9: Close by November 30th. Be a new first mortgage customer or refinance from another loan provider. Minimum $100,000 loan subject to change or end without notice. Other conditions apply. See bank for
8: details. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender. Member FDIC. Member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op.
13: Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at or call me at 586-7400.
10: WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community
7: nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP.
1: And we are back here at River Valley uh, Co-op here in East Hampton. It's just such a beautiful facility in And I want to talk more with Rochelle uh, Prani about that. But I I wanted to turn to you, Jeff Burdine. Um, Greenfield Farmers Cooperative Exchange, you you have this web of relationship with other people who are involved in agriculture and with other co-ops. And I'm wondering how you maintain these relationships year after year when something like what we suffered this year, the vagaries of of the weather um, impacts on everything you do.
5: We um, we do business with other cooperatives that supply us. So we're members of other cooperatives also Um, They have some of them have had some tough times some have gone away Um, Like the Agway Cooperative is no longer Um, Southern States Cooperative which is similar to Agway is much smaller than it used to be and we do business with other co-ops so we try to do because it's a good good suppliers for us but it um, sometimes they don't last.
1: Yeah, but um, you as a cooperative, how do you remain so responsive to the community? I have to tell you, I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of the Farmers Exchange in Greenfield. We we
5: frequent you. I, and I, I would say we listen listen to our customers, our members, both member customers and non-member customers, um, and my my people, my employees, also they listen and where we react. If we hear it enough bring in a certain product, we do it. We try it out. If it doesn't work out, then you get out of it. Just listen. Listen to what people want.
1: What a unique model for how to do business. <laughs> Just listen to what people want. And and they're more likely to frequent your mm-hmm. establishment yeah. if you're listening to what they want. So, and you, Craig, uh, Craig Boivin, for the UMass Five College Credit Union, the credit union funds a lot of these initiatives. The credit union is relied upon by so many people in order to make the wonderful thing that we're listening to other people speak about happen frequently. So there's always a decision to make. Is it a good investment? And the tension is, it sounds like something we'd like to support, but is it a good investment for our depositors? How do you, how do you balance that?
16: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think really it does come back to the end of the day of, of what is going to be sustainable and local, right? That's that's really what we focus on. Um, we always like to say when you're bringing your relationship to the credit union, when you're putting your deposits here, we're able to make loans to other local people and businesses, right? So that money is staying local in our local economy. So we may be able to give a, a car loan to someone so that they can go to a valley market for work and work at a co-op. We may be able to give money to uh, a local business who is just starting out in the valley and plans to stay in this geographic region. So a lot of the mindset behind that is, you know, who's, who's local and, and who wants to stay here in the valley.
0: I'd like to know how much of uh, UMass Five College Credit uh, Union's business is uh, home loans?
16: That's a good question. Um, it, it is a pretty good size of our business overall. I don't have a direct percentage off the top of my head. Um. It, because my the bigger question
0: I actually want to get to is uh, the, what Buzz was getting to, which is how do you balance risk, which is what banking is about ultimately, against the reward of trying to help a new entrepreneur or someone who has an idea for a business in the valley or a store or a manufacturing plant or uh, some kind of service. How, how do you? How do you? You have an advantage because you're local, which uh, big international banks don't. But you also have this pressure on you to make a loan to help someone out that maybe your business mind says, I'm not so sure about this. How do you balance that out?
16: Yeah, and, and I think it does go back to the structure of the credit unions again, right? We don't have the pressure from those outside stakeholders to, to make money for them that they've invested in, right? So when we focus on what we can do locally, it really is in the best interest of the people and businesses here. Um, so when we're looking at making a loan to someone, we may be able to look at, um, I guess their past credit history a little bit differently, right? So credit unions are typically more receptive and able to lend to folks who maybe some of the traditional players have turned away in the past. And that's really how credit unions got their start, right? A lot of, you know, again, we talked about the UMass employees getting together. Um, A great example, up in Manchester, New Hampshire, there was a group of mill workers who were working and living at the mill and the conditions were just horrible. And what happened was they couldn't get loans to move out of the mill and into a better place to live. So they pulled their money together and one by one, they were able to push um, those, the, that community out of those terrible living conditions and better their, their life. And that's really what credit unions are about.
1: We are here. We are celebrating uh, co-op month. And we're doing it with an incredible group from Greenfield Farmers Cooperative Exchange and UMass Five College Credit Union, our Family Farms Cooperative, Real Pickles Workers Co-op, and River Valley Co-op. And we're going to continue talking with them and more about River Valley Co-op, our host, right after this.
7: To talk the talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster. Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Only on WHMP.
10: Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. GreenfieldSavings.com.
7: The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster. WHMP.
9: What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and Co-op member, Bill Newman.
0: Rutabagas, sweet potatoes, turnips, and leeks. Local produce is rooting its way to the Co-op every day. At the Co-op meat counter, try coffee-rubbed hanger steak, a delicious mix of sweet and bold heat. New recipe, and you need just a pinch of this herb or that spice? Get just the right amount in the Co-op's bulk department.
9: River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome.
12: Summer adventures are where memories are made. Add some flavor to your Massachusetts summer by eating like a local. Support local farmers and your appetites by exploring farmer's markets throughout the state. Take home a pint of juicy
7: strawberries or add sweet, plump blueberries to your morning cereal. There's no better place to find a tomato to complement your burger or the freshest ear of corn you'll enjoy all season. Need
12: some inspiration? Map your fresh food adventure at local ma.org. Sponsored by Mass Farmer's Markets.
9: Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.?
10: Is this week's Shop Friday, Downtown Sounds?
9: Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full-value gift certificates, and you save 30%.
10: Downtown Sounds Workers' Co-op, a music store with new and used instruments and lessons, live online or live in person. First lessons free when you buy an instrument, plus repairs of musical instruments and equipment.
9: Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com.
7: You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP.
1: And we are back celebrating Co-op Month here at River Valley in East Hampton. And I wanted to go back to you, Jeff Burdine. You're from Greenfield Farmers Co-op Exchange. And I guess co-ops, you were telling us earlier about how in 1918, your uh, a group of farmers sort of created um, Greenfield Farmers Exchange, but I think co-ops go back further than that, don't they?
5: Yeah, the, um, after the Civil War, the federal government helped start up farmer co-ops to get supplies like from the feed mill to the farmers because transportation was very challenging. So if the, a group of farmers got together, it took care of that challenge, and that really is how Greenfield Farmers co op started.
1: It's pretty incredible to just think about it as a 170-year-old mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. model. And we're, we're also talking to Angie Facey from Our Family Farms. And um, I think you, there's a new processing model that Family Farms has created. Is that right? From utter to our table right
14: <laughs> from cow to creamery to cup <laughs> okay. so yes um we built a on-farm creamery at our dairy farm this spring we opened on april 5th and we've been all of the milk's been coming out of leiden um since then so we're processing on farm packaging you know the raw product comes from the farm so um we got a grant from uh dar that
1: dar um,
14: um, sorry, Department of Ag Resources to help build the plant. So um, with that, we had to buy brand new equipment and um, do a lot of extra things. But ultimately, you know, it's a, the end goal is that we have all of our milk in all of our container and we expanded our product line tremendously. So well,
1: once it's in a container, how does it get delivered? How does it get distributed?
14: Yep. We also do that, too. <laughs> um, so we, we were able to add half and half heavy cream, chocolate milk um, and strawberry milk is going to be next to roll out. So.
1: And was that the, the workers who are owners, that, that that was a collective decision that happened, just bubbled up? How did it happen?
14: <laughs> They've been trying to do it for 26 years since they formed the co-op in 97. So um, it's definitely been a work in progress. So,
1: It's an exciting it's yes. an exciting uh, new development. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, Craig Boyvan, on behalf of the UMass Five College Credit Union, a lot of us think that Credit unions aren't as savvy, aren't as technologically adept as banks that we think of as banks, right, are. What say you to that?
16: Yeah, right. I mean, we talked a lot about our mission today, and that that should be a no-brainer of why you want to bank with the credit union. But in terms of technology, I am here to say that we are up to snuff with any other bank, right? I could go into my pocket right now and pull up my phone and turn my debit card off from our mobile banking app if I wanted to. Um... And I think the other piece, you know, technology aside, um, a lot of times you see the big banks in every corner of every part of the country, right? So you think, oh, well, local, that doesn't really help me if I'm moving about. But in true cooperative fashion, credit unions have a thing called shared branching where I could be out in California. I could actually go into another credit union and do my business as a UMass 5 member out there. So it's a way that credit unions across the country have banded together to kind of combat that, you know, we're not in every corner, but strength in numbers, is the way to go.
1: How many credit unions are there in the country?
16: It's a good question. Um, I think there's around six thousand today in the U.S. Um, it's it's sort of interesting in our industry. There is has been a lot of consolidation. A lot of the the very small credit unions um, have struggled to keep up with technology, and oftentimes um, the small or the the medium larger size ones are are, are merging those smaller ones into each other. Uh, and it is a little bit of a game of scale. We know the the big banks have that strength in numbers, but again. Co ops and credit unions, we play well together.
0: I was wondering if we could go back to real pickles for one second because I've been dying to ask this and I just need to ask why is it real pickles as opposed to what? uh, Not real pickles? Fake pickles? (laughs) Why is it faux pickles? Why why (laughs) real pickles?
15: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So real pickles, as we imagine them, are pickles. Oh, and then you're getting your jar of fermented pickles right now to (laughs) try. We just had
1: a wonderful jar of pickles (laughs) plopped in front of us.
15: So we can all taste the pickles. So real pickles are pickles that are made the traditional way of of preservation, which is you mix vegetables and salt and leave them at room temperature. And the cultures that are naturally present on the vegetable basically consume the sugar in the vegetables and create the acidity that preserves them. So modern vinegar, vinegar pickles are really mimicking this traditional process. So the difference between vinegar pickles and real pickles, fermented pickles, um, the taste is, is different, the taste is, is more interesting. Um, there's more health benefits when you're doing it the natural, naturally fermented way. Um, so it's a very different. The outcome is very different if you're eating sauerkraut that's um, just cabbage soaked in vinegar versus naturally fermented sauerkraut is really different.
0: Wow, it is real pickles.
15: <laughs> <laughs> Got it.
0: And all the other all the other uh, products you make.
15: Yes, everything that we do is naturally fermented. Okay, thank yeah, you. No vinegar. One of
1: life's mysteries has just been solved. I appreciate that. <laughs> right, right. Fermented as opposed to fomented, right? <laughs> I want to turn to you, Rochelle Fronti, um, your general manager of River Valley Co-op. Um, and it's been a while now since you expanded to East Hampton. You know how that wonderful Northampton store, which all of us are so familiar with, but here in East Hampton, you've created something really special here. So, tell us about the process that led to okay, we're going to go ahead with this plan. We are going to expand, and we have confidence in it. How? What was that process in a cooperative environment like?
8: so i think uh very different than than maybe a lot of uh um regular business expansion um you know we had expanded we we had expanded in customers and we were using like every possible inch of our facility and our parking lot and and you know the 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 community grew bigger than the facility basically and so It had expanded, and we needed to expand facility-wise to accommodate that. And so, it was really about serving the community, not like some sort of like, oh, let's make more profits doing something. You know, it it was about service. And so, we picked a location, look for a location that was close enough to take some of the pressure off of the other store um, and also uh, a good base to start a new store. So we were looking in the, you know, five to eight mile sort of range, and which is where we landed. Um, but, you know, we didn't have any money at the point that we wanted to do this um, low margin business. I know
0: someone at the credit union. <laughs> <laughs>
8: yeah, and 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 you know financing is part of it. But in order to do this, we had to go just like the first store. We started the first store with no money. Was was you know it was the concept, and then and you know people put in the money. So with this store, we went to our our owners and we said you know if we want to do this other store, we're going to need uh, five million dollars in loans. So. uh so, the community put in five million. We got five million in economic development funding, and the rest in financing. Um, and we have expanded membership um, about thirty percent. We've added about uh, uh, five thousand members since we started this. Um, so it's uh, it's all about people.
1: I I love that, and that's a recurring theme from from. All of the folks who have been with us today, there's an East Hampton Fire Department ambulance driving by and saying hello. I hope everybody's all right in that ambulance. But uh, in the minute we have left, I just want to point out that the theme for Co-op Month is owning our identity. And all, what we've heard out of every mouth that's spoken today is the commitment to community and how I don't think that a co-op can happen unless a community is supportive of the model itself. And... We all are so fortunate to live in in an area where uh, we appreciate the model and it's because of what all of you folks offer to all of us. So uh, here we are on co-op month and it's time to celebrate our co-op and Bill, any last words? Yeah,
0: I wanna thank everyone for doing what they do. I wanna thank you for bringing this model for consumer co-ops and food co-ops and dairy co-ops and uh, five college credit co-op. It is really a testament I think to you and I think it's a testament to your being able to bring the community together for this venture. Thank you all.
1: And now I'm going to enjoy a pickle. Thank you for joining us today.
8: Thank you.
10: Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't go for
14: this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students.
7: Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Dear Massachusetts, Marijuana is now legal for adult use. Keep your kids and pets safe
10: by keeping all cannabis products in child-resistant packaging. Store your cannabis in a lockbox out of sight and out of reach from your children and teach them that cannabis and alcohol are for adults
16: only. WHMP and Northampton and WRSI
7: HD2, Turners Falls, WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station.